I'm going to be speaking on Exodus 20:17. You can keep your Bibles closed because I'm going to be reading some uh, scriptures. And by the time you find it and turn to it, you might miss something that I say. So uh, you can write down the scriptures. Uh, Exodus 20:17. it states, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Today, I will consider the command, thou shalt not covet, found in Exodus 20, 17. Oh, you can have a seat. Excuse me. This last command of the Ten Commandments has often been misunderstood by many Christians. Many Christians think that it refers to an inner disposition of envy, jealousy, or lust. An inner desire, inner attitude, in contrast to uh, outer behavior. Many believe that to covet is an inner disposition, a desire to have, which has nothing to do with behavior or action, but with an inner attitude of desiring to have something that belongs to another. So according to uh, some, this command has nothing to do with behavior or attitude. But we have to understand that to covet or to desire is a verb and has to do with activity. Coveting has to do with action. It's an action word. Coveting will start with an emotion, with a desire. Coveting will start with an inner disposition, a desire. It will begin with an attitude, but it will end in behavior. Just like, just like uh, in the case of loving and hating, coveting and also coveting is also an activity like loving and hating. So even though the word covet or desire does evolve our emotions, but it's in addition to our emotion, it also involves our activity, our behavior, not just our attitude. Just like, uh, just like uh, lusting can result in pornography and then to other illicit activities. So the command not to covet, I will say, was directed not only to the desire to have, but also to the desire to get or acquire the object of one's coveting and desiring. In short, coveting has to do with the activity of possessing the object one desires, not just desiring, but acquiring. But someone might object by saying, didn't Jesus say if one looks at a woman lustfully, has already committed adultery with her in his heart, found in Matthew 5.28? Let me begin by saying that the word most commonly used for desire and lust in the New Testament is epithemia. Only five times this word epithemia in the form of a noun, which means to uh, desire or lust, is found in a neuter or good sense. The rest of the time, the noun form or desire or the lust meaning is bad in a negative sense. Now the verb form of desire and lust is normally used in a good sense, except in the letters of Paul and in Matthew 5.28, which just read. In Matthew 5.28, the word to lust 
or to desire is in the form of a verb. So in Matthew 5.28, the word to lust or desire is in a bad sense, where it refers to sexual desires and lust. Also in Mark 4.19, we see the same word, epithemia, used as a verb as in Matthew 5.28, but not in a sexual context with a sexual meaning. In 4.19, it is used for the desire of all kinds of goods and values of the world. Let me read that uh, verse. Mark 4, 19. But the cares of the world and the lure of wealth and the desire for other things come and choke the word, and it yields nothing. In a, it's a desire for things that are not bad or evil in themselves. But when one puts their whole desire in them, it chokes the word in the person. So it's clear from both these passages that Jesus considers desire and lust as a sin with a highly destructive power, a power that could destroy one's life if that desire is not controlled. We see that in Mark, in Mark uh, 4, 19, the desire for things, a strong desire for things in the world, such as power, prestige, security, a house that even a spouse could choke the word. What Jesus wants is that all our desires be directed toward him. All our life and being should be directed toward Jesus. So desires of lust could break a marriage, and a desire for things could choke the word. Lust is something uh, we could control or have it control us. Many times we can't control our thoughts, but we could control our actions. Jesus understood and knew the consequences of a lustful heart since he was a human being. Jesus knew that just because lust and desires operates in the thoughts and wishes of the heart didn't mean they weren't destructive because thoughts can turn into action. Jesus knew that what one strongly desires will one day work its way into a deed and behavior which many of us have experienced. For Jesus, evil desires, just like evil deeds and behaviors, flow out of and betray the evil heart, which has separated itself from God. Separation from God begins with evil desires. Paul also sees lust and desires as an expression of sin that rules man. Paul sees lust as a power in man's flesh that turns him away from God. What lust does is that it urges man into activity. It's like gas that fuels us into action. And once in action, we are totally separated from God. That's why Jesus can say in Matthew 5:28 that a lustful heart has committed adultery. And God's presence cannot be in an adulterous relationship. Jesus knew that it would just be a matter of time that this desire would become an outward deed. That's why Jesus could say to Judas, what you, are, what you are going to do, do quickly what's in your heart. And we have to understand that lust and desire can find their expression in every direction, whether in sexual desires, material enjoyment, 
or coveting another's possession, as Exodus 20:17 states. Coveting could affect every part of our lives. Lustful desires determine one's life and enslaves us. That's why the gospel means freedom and coveting means enslavement. Lust could enslave our whole personality and character addicted to, starts with being addicted to pornography, then it goes into a chat room, and then next thing, it goes to a motel. Jesus knew, as the rest of the apostles knew, that lust is a power that draws, entices, and lures us to commit an act of immorality or to desire the things of the world that only last for a while. Lust is a power in us, as James says, that draws, entices, and lures. To Jesus, to covet or to lust after a woman is a sin because the action will soon follow. And let me say that Jesus did not say that it is a sin to look at a pretty woman. Uh, if this was the case, I would have to repent every hour of the day, just like you, okay? Jesus knows that women are pretty to look at since he created them. Uh, that's how I feel, fell in love with my wife. I looked because she was pretty. I desired because she was attractive. I lusted. I coveted. I wooed her. And I conquered. <laughs> and 18 months later, I married her. And I haven't stopped lusting and coveting after her since. You could ask her. But that's okay, since she's my wife. We should lust after our wives. You continue to lust after your wife, you won't lust after another woman. But I don't recommend that for single people, okay? <laughs> but I have to confess in the presence of my wife in order to remove some of my guilt. And that is that Pastor Greg surpasses me when it comes to lusting after one's wife. <laughs> because, because if you have noticed here in church, he can't keep his hands and his lips off his wife. He acts like if he can't wait to get home. See, we could, we could learn. That's why you have to look at uh, Pastor Greg, because we can learn from him. He's a, he's a good example of what husbands should lust after. <laughs> Hallelujah. He does surpass me on that. He even one time jumped out of the pulpit and went out there to kiss her. <laughs> Couldn't wait. So it's, uh, so it's with a lustful heart that Jesus is speaking of, a lustful heart that is determined to get the object of its desire. So with this explanation, let's go back to Exodus 20, 17. You shall not cover your neighbor's house. You shall not cover your neighbor's wife or male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything belongs to your neighbor. It has been established 
by many that to covet here in Exodus 2017 has also to do with, with land policies. To covet, in other words, means to arrange loan credits, tax, and inheritance so that some may have land that others should rightfully possess. In our time, this is done through high interest and high taxes. So here, covet has to do with a practice of greed. Covet here has to do with the destructive force of monopoly, where a few people own 80% of the land and the majority only own 20%. Or another example, where America is 8% of the world's population, but consumes 40% of the world's goods. So the command not to covet has to do with the question, who should have what and who should have what turf? Let's read Micah 2, 1 to 5 to get a little more insight into this command, not to covet. Remember, covet is an activity, a verb. In Micah 2, 1, 5, it says, Woe for those who devise wickedness and evil deeds on their beds. When the morning dawns, they perform it, because it is in their power. They covet fields and seize them, houses and take them away. They possess householders and house, people and their inheritance. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, Now I am devising against this family evil from which you cannot remove your necks. And you shall walk prideful, for it will be an evil time. Here, the prophet is speaking against scheming and coveting someone else's property. It has to do with creating evil policies and laws in order to snatch someone else's property. That's why, that's why many lost their homes during the mortgage crisis, because of greed. Many lost homes. Many lost two, three homes because of greed of people. In Micah 2 1, it states that at night, at night in their beds, they work out their evil schemes. Wall Street never sleeps. There's that movie. But in uh, verse 3, it also states that God is also planning. God is planning evil against them, and in time, they will lose all that they have. God is also planning against evil people such as, such as those as the Wall Street mob. So we see here that God is concerned with the property of others. In fact, Pastor was touching upon that a little while ago. God knows that there are some because of their greed are out to take what belongs to others. That's why God commanded, thou shalt not covet. The tenth commandment, thou shalt not covet, therefore has to do with land, which has to do with social power. The more land you have, the more social power you have. God knows that greed will not only destroy a community, but also a family. There are brothers and sisters that will destroy family relationship over an inheritance, over greed. In 1 Kings 21, we see what greed can do. It's the story of Naboth and Ahab, king of Israel. In this story, you have Ahab desiring the land of Nabal, lusting over a land, the land that Nabal refuses to sell. The story tells us that because Nabal refuses to sell Ahab the land, Ahab became distressed. Ahab began, 
began to grieve to the point that he couldn't sleep and he couldn't eat. His lustful desires for neighbor's land made him sleepless and eatless. And that's what lust does. Many of us have experienced that at nighttime when we lust over somebody else that's not our wife. Many times we can't sleep because our lust keeps us awake. The story tells us that his wife, Jezebel, came up with a plan to kill Naboth and seize his land. This is what lust, this is what greed does. That's why God says, thou shalt not covet. Because God knows that the desire to have will one day works its way into a deed and a behavior. Just the way it worked its way into Abel's heart, and what followed was a restless life, a restless life of coveting. In Leviticus 25, you don't have to turn to it, it talks about the year of Jubilee. According to the law of Jubilee, at the end of 49th year, all the land is to be returned to its original owners. And all the debts are to be canceled. Everything is to be canceled, all debts. The purpose of the year of Jubilee was to guard and protect the people from greedy and exploiting practices, as we read in Micah 2 and 1 Kings 21. At the end of 49 years, everyone gets their land back and every debt is canceled. Debts are canceled and everyone gets their land back. At the end of 49 years, there is a new beginning, a fresh start for everyone, just like it was a fresh start from, for us from drug addiction, alcohol addiction, or any other addiction that we had. The year of Jubilee tells us that everyone is given a piece of land. Everyone is assigned a piece of property. Everyone is assigned a place they could call their own. Everyone is given dignity and worth and is guaranteed a home in their society. That's what the year of Jubilee means. It means freedom. The year of Jubilee tells us that one doesn't have to live in the slums of poverty. One doesn't have to live in a crime-infested project. One doesn't have to pay high taxes or home on your home that you already own. The year of Jubilee tells us that one does not have to earn the land or even to deserve it. And one does not have to be wise enough or strong enough to defend it. It is only one's right to own land. It is a right from God instituted in the year of Jubilee. The Bible is not ignorant about greedy people who are out to benefit themselves at the expense of others. And we shouldn't be ignorant of them also. The Bible is not ignorant about sharp lawyers with all their slick talk who use their knowledge for the benefit and the benefit of the rich. God knows all about lawyers and their manipulation in order to acquire more wealth and power. We have the best lawyer in town. We have Jesus as our mouthpiece. He is our advocate. That's why the Bible talks about protecting the weak from the strong. God is not ignorant about greedy people, and God is not ignorant about Wall Street. And even though the year of Jubilee was never practiced by Israel, one day, God will bring it to pass. It will come to pass because God commanded it. Because if we can't bring it to pass because of our greed, God will one day bring it to pass where all of God's children 
will have a place that they could call their home, my home. In Leviticus 25, 23, it says that the land belongs to God. That's why the Bible says the land cannot be sold as if it belongs to someone else. So to covet the land of a defenseless person is to covet the land that belongs to God. And since it is God's land, he has the right to give it freely to whom he wishes. And he wishes is that all should have a land, a home. We also read, we also read in the Old Testament that debts serve as a form of social power whereby many remain hopelessly in bondage to others. We all know the power that a credit card can have over us. Instead of us mastering our MasterCard, it masters us. We all know the power that high interest could have on us. High interest enslaves us to someone else. People stay in debt all their lives because of interest. People lose their homes and cars because of high interest. Many times we fail to see what God has to say about credit and interest rates. We think that credit and interest rates is a modern concept. So God doesn't know anything about it. God knows numbers. God even knows how many hairs we got on our head. But God knows that a society that is based on interest and credit has the power to dehumanize a person. All you have to do is read Leviticus 25 and Deuteronomy 15, and you will see that God is concerned for those who have been dehumanized by credit and by profit. In Leviticus 25, 35, 43, God speaks about debts being canceled. It speaks about debts being canceled. And what God is speaking about here is about debts being canceled, whereby the poor can enter public life again as respected persons. One time I didn't have anything, but now, because my debt has been canceled, now I have dignity. And this cancellation, this forgiveness, the debt has to do, do with God bringing them, into, bringing them out of Egypt. What God is saying in Leviticus 25, 42 is that he has brought them out of slavehood from Egypt. Therefore, you shall not become slaves to one another. You shall not become slaves to one another through interest and credit. God knows the power of a credit card of interest and how it enslaves us. And every cancellation of debt has to do with forgiveness. The remedy for debt is forgiveness in the Bible. Because God knows how harsh a creditor can be. God knows how harsh life can be when the credit man comes knocking at your door to haul you away in court because you lost your job and you can't pay your bills. God knows how dehumanizing this can be. God's purpose for us is to be free and to serve him, not to serve others. The reason God says to cancel all debts at the end of seven years is because everything in heaven and earth is his. And when people start using what belongs to God to take away the dignity and worth that belongs to a poor person, God gets a little upset and starts blowing his trumpet and victory outreach and says, let freedom ring all over the land. Let freedom ring in Cape Town, South Africa. 
Let freedom ring in Panama and South America. Let freedom ring in the ghettos and slums of North America. Let freedom ring in the slave huts of Oakland, LA, Europe, Mexico, Chicago, and Hayward. And when God declares freedom from all the deaths going to uh, these people are going to burn up their credit cards, tear up their bills, and start dancing in the streets, shouting and saying, singing. That's God's vision for us, to be free. God either pays our debts or cancels our debt. That's why we celebrate. Pastor uh, Stephen was talking about that a little while ago. That's why we dance, because our debt has been paid. When we praise Jesus, when we praise Jesus, some feel the spirit moving in their feet. So they start moving their feet. Some people feel the spirit moving in their hips. So they start moving their hips. They start moving their hips back and forth. Some feel the spirit moving in their shoulders. So they start moving their shoulders. They start moving their shoulders back and forth. Others only feel the spirit moving from their neck up. So they start going like this. They start going like this. But others, but others feel the spirit moving inside and outside their body. They like, like Vince up here and like Alex. They start jumping. They start dancing. Uh, they start spinning because they cannot contain themselves because the Lord has set them free, has set them from bondage. Pastor Toby, Pastor Toby knows all about this because he came out of the closet years ago. He came out jumping, he came out dancing, and he came out spinning. And let me explain something. And by closet, I don't mean the gay, gay closet, okay? Uh, you could ask his wife. You could ask his wife about that. What I mean is that some are still ashamed to express their praise to Jesus. The longer you have been, the longer that you have been saved, the higher you should jump. The louder you should praise the name of Jesus. But many times... Many times, sometimes we come, become pastors and you, we think that pastors has called us to be dignified. So we don't jump, we don't dance, we just sit there like, you know. God, God calls us to be like children, not like Pharisees. Okay? And children are open. Children are open to dance, they're open to praise. And that's what we should do, especially those that are older in Christ. That's why I still praise the name of Jesus been saved 40 through the I wish I could jump higher I jump as high as I could but uh, uh, my age limits me uh, so what God wants to do what he wants to do in the natural in the society we live in that's what he wants to do in the spiritual it's always the natural, but he wants to do it in the spiritual too. Just like Jesus paid for our sins and therefore canceled our debt, God's vision for our society is no different. Just like Jesus died for our sins and canceled and made void the debt that we owed God, which debt we could only pay by our death, God wants that same vision for our society. And let me say that many times when we get in debt, we start writing rubber checks. 
checks that bounce. We get desperate and start using our credit cards and get in debt. But when Jesus wrote that check on Friday evening on the hill called Calvary, on behalf of us, that check didn't bounce. Many times, like many times, our check bounces. Because on Sunday morning, when God, the chief banker, went to his mailbox to pick up his mail, there was a letter addressed to him from his son. And as, as the father opened the letter, there was a check with a note inside of it. And this is what the note said. Father, I'm writing this letter on behalf of humanity. I'm writing this letter concerning the debt they owe you and debt they could never pay. I'm writing hoping that what I have accomplished here on earth will cancel the debt they owe you. Let me explain what I did to cancel their debt they owe you. As I, as I arrived here on earth, the earth that belongs to you, I seen people, they were blind from birth, who had never seen the beauty of, a beauty of a lily in the field, who had never seen the beauty of a sparrow in the air. I seen people who were crippled from birth, who never knew and experienced the peacefulness of a walk through the trees of a forest or a walk by a river felt like. I seen people with leprosy, with faces and bodies disfigured, who had lost all hope of ever having an intimate relationship with someone they loved. I saw others with demonic forces controlling their lives. And as I looked into their eyes, I could see all the demonic forces that were controlling them. Dad, I also seen young kids running the streets of Jerusalem, your city. They ran naked and hungry in the streets. And as I seen the hopelessness in the people, I had compassion on them. So I started to give them their sight back. I started to, uh, I made them walk again. I fed the hungry and clothed the naked. And as I went to the back alleys and streets of Jerusalem, I seen young girls selling their bodies for the drug called crack. I saw young boys killing each other for this white powder called meth and heroin. And as I seen all of this sickness and hate, I also became hopeless and exhausted. There was that time in the Garden of Gethsemane that I became so hopeless and in despair that it felt like my blood was draining from the pores of my body. But in my hopelessness, you send your angels to comfort me. And just when I was ready to obey my will, you gave me the strength to say, not my will, Dad, but your will be done. I could have written more, but I have, but I have to be in a hurry because I know they're coming after me to crucify me. I could hear them coming. So I am writing this short letter because in a few hours, I'll be dead. But that's okay, Dad, because soon it will be all over with. I will accomplish my purpose for coming to earth, and, I will be, and it will be finished. So don't worry about me. I'll be fine. And Dad, if you hear me cry out the words, why have you abandoned me? That's just the way humans feel. 
when all hope is gone and they're left all alone. So hopefully, I'll see you soon. Love, your son Jesus. P.S. I'll be waiting for your answer. Loving you always, your son Jesus. And as the father reads this letter on that Sunday morning, he writes on that check, all debts are canceled. All debts are canceled. Now we are free. That's why we need to praise the name of Jesus. Because he has canceled every debt we owe God. Now we are free, free from lust, free from coveting, free from anything that was draws away from Jesus. Our society can only survive on debt and credit. Our society can only grow on the basis of debt and credit. The, the world can only survive and grow on the basis of who owes what to whom. But God is different. God doesn't work and see things as we do. God doesn't work under the same categories that we do. God works with the categories of cancellation and forgiveness. The chief banker, the chief banker in the Bank of America gets more rich the more people owe him money. The more people owe him money, the more that banker gets glorified, the more he shines. But the chief banker, in the bank of heaven, he doesn't get glorified when people owe him a debt. Because the more we owe him, the less he gets glorified. The more we are in debt to him, the less God shines. God does not get glorified when we owe God our obedience and our love. Our obedience and love should come out of devotion and delight, not out of debt. Uh, let me read uh, Philippians 2, 5 to 11. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. God gets glory only as he cancels all our debts. God gets glory only when we owe him nothing. God gets glory only when his people are free from debt. God gets glory only when he sees his children singing and dancing in the streets because their debt has been paid by Jesus who owed nothing yet died to pay what we owed God. God doesn't work with the concept of credit credit and debt like the Bank of America. God works with the categories of no debt, no credit, and more freedom. That's what Jesus means when he said in Luke 18, 4, 18, 19. Let me read that. Uh, it says for Luke 4, 18, 19. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Here, Jesus speaks about the acceptable year of the Lord, which means the year of Jubilee. What this means is the day when God will get things right. 
This is the day when the weak will be giving their share now, held by the strong. This is the day when prison doors are open and prisoners are set free. This is the day when all debts are canceled and God's children can live with dignity and freedom. This is the day when God ends the vicious, vicious cycle of poverty and debt. Here Jesus is saying that the day has come when the poison of coveting and greed has come to an end. The poison of lust. Here Jesus is bringing in the jubilee year that Leviticus 25 speaks about. about that all debts are canceled. And the jubilee year is the opposite of coveting. It is the opposite of debt and credit. Coveting has to do with the desire to want. We want something, so we'll even get in debt to have it. We sell our freedom for things. But while coveting leads to death, jubilee will lead to life. Because jubilee means freedom. Only as we let go of those things we desire will we have life. Letting go brings freedom. And let me finish with this. We don't have to turn to it. But in Luke 12, 13, 21, two brothers came to Jesus. That, they, that Jesus may settle the question of land inheritance. They want him to act as a judge in this case. But since Jesus is a teacher and not a judge, he tells them a story. Jesus tells them a story of a man whose philosophy and belief was more. This man believed in more. The more one has, the better off they will be. That's the way the world believes. The man in this story believes in more barns, more eating, more drinking, more leisure, more time for activities, for pornography, for sex. Sounds like the way America thinks. The way we think. But we see that his belief in more cost him his life. In this parable, Jesus is inviting us to faithfulness rather than to coveting, rather than to lusting. Jesus is inviting us to trust him rather than to trust more, more lust, more sex. Here, Jesus is taking the 10th commandment, thou shalt not covet a little further. Jesus is saying that coveting kills, that desiring more kills. Lust can break a marriage. It could break one's life. And in Mark 10, 17, 22, by telling the young ruler to sell, to sell all that he has and give to the poor, Jesus is saying, only as we give will we have life. Greed touches every part of our life. The 10th commandment, thou shalt not covet, has to do with respecting what our neighbor has. Respecting the beauty that God gave women. We should not practice greed because God does not practice greed. God gave his son that we should live. So the command not to covet is a word that will give us life. The words thou shalt not covet invites us to share in God's self in giving of his son. It invites us to give ourselves to each other and to Jesus as Jesus gave himself to us. At this time, I want to call my pastor because he has more wisdom than I do when it comes to closing. So I want to invite him to come and share with us.
Praise the Lord. Come on, give the Lord a hand of praise. Amen. Man, I was hanging on every word. That was powerful. Now, what's very important a lot of times, especially when uh, people deliver the word, that you understand the message and the content of what God is giving. And I believe it, the, the moment he started speaking, I go, oh, this is the word that God wanted to give this church. And I believe it, it's kind of been intertwined, and I think God's been speaking, and God just used Pastor Paul. Because even as, as he was speaking, and I, I think if you've been here these past couple weeks, we've been touching on it, been touching on it, been touching on it. But really, the, the enemy is really trying to stranglehold uh, the, the evil is normal. Evil is normal. Like, it, it's okay. Pornography is normal. It, it, it's normal. It's okay. There's nothing wrong with it. It's not a big deal. Even to the point where they solicit to married couples pornography like it's okay to watch pornography as married nothing wrong with it you're married already what's the big deal right that's how the world is thinking we the the world thinks in in forms of hey you got a credit card you need a bigger one you need a bigger credit card your credit card's too small if you're gonna you gotta think bigger you gotta get a bigger credit card and and, and things of this nature and and everything is all about a debt and everything is all about the world trying to fill that that void my prayer here as victory outreach heart of the bay that we would understand that God is the one. You, you don't have no void if you have God. See, far too often we think we have a void and it needs to be filled. But we pass off God like he is just, like what he was talking about, like covenant, that's just a word. Like God, he's just a word. No, he's not just a word. Like in other words, if I go through it, then I'll put God in it. If I'm... If I'm kind of feeling it and, you know, now I'm in trouble, I need to pray. But bottom line, if you're not in prayer, you're already in trouble. It's not the other way around. My prayer that us as Victory Outreach Heart of the Bay, that we would understand that we cannot do this without God. We need God to be the center of every decision that we do. The center of your job, the center of your house, the center of your car, the center of the clothes that you buy. I don't care if it's a $5 scarf. Is he the center of that decision? Because if not, then what we're doing is, and it's funny, the number one rated show for a very long time on television, on cable television, I was looking at the, the thing, was Keeping Up with the Kardashians. That was a, uh, you, you can laugh, you can humor yourself. Some of you watch the show. And what it, the thing about it is that it's really not called Keeping Up, it's called Coveting the Kardashians. That's what the whole show is about. The whole, the entire show is about that. Coveting what they have. I want what she's got. I want what she has. Oh, ooh, they, they're wearing that? I want to wear that. Now, of course, it's kind of a, 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 a more for the women, but the men, the same. Well, I, I want my wife to look like that. I'm not married yet, but when I do, I want her to look like that. Says who? It's not what the Bible says. It's not even, matter of fact, it's not even close to what the Bible says. My prayer here today that you would listen and you would be honest. We're going to make an altar call, but we're going to make an honest altar call. We're not going to make a like, well, I kind of feel like it. Well, I don't know. I'm, am I feeling this altar call or not? No, no, no. I don't want you to make this altar call based on feelings. I want you to make this based on truth. And the truth is, if you need to get free, that today's your day to get free. Stop playing around. Whether it's pornography, some of you are like, well, pornography is not my thing. But all you do is you wake up every morning thinking about how much money am I going to make today. 
And all that's on your mind is money. It's not your family. It's not your friends. It's just money. I, I need money. I have to have money. If I don't have money, I'm void. Says who? He based the message, and it's very true, on the coveting. Now, he, he touched a wide range. I love it because he touched a wide range of everything. But today, I really feel that some of us, we need to get free. There needs to be a freedom that reigns. That's why it's very difficult for you, many of you, to even come to church when you come to church because you don't even feel free to come to church, let alone in church. You're like, well, I, 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 I don't know. And that's why so many times, see, we don't tell people you shouldn't work on Sundays. We don't tell nobody that. If you have to go for it, do, do whatever you got to do. But you need to check your motives, and you got to check your heart. Because if you're not free, when's your day to rest? When's your day to just receive the word of God? When's the day to God to speak to you? Oh, he'll, he'll do it next week. He'll do it next month. He'll do it next year. That's what he was talking about. It starts small. I like what he said about the desire. That was it. That hit me. Ooh, it starts with that. And the Bible says God knows the desires of your heart. But be careful because he'll give it to you. Our God is a gentleman. You want to work? Go for it. Do it. That's not a problem. God's not going to, you think that God's going to come down and, God, should I take this job? Oh, he didn't say anything, so I'm going to take, like, you think that God's going to do a certain thing. That's not how it works. God's a gentleman. God, should I marry this guy? Uh, okay, I haven't heard you. I, well, then I'm going to do it. God's a gentleman. Go for it, dude. Go. You can have it. But be careful what your heart desires. Today, we're going to get free. Now, some of you, I'm going to end with this one. Some of you, you have been coveting even through your children. Now, you say, well, what do you mean by that, Pastor? Because, well, I didn't have it, so I'm going to make sure. It's, I got to make sure. It's going to happen like this. You need to be careful because that's what the whole property thing, what he was talking about before. I want to make sure that my children and the children, listen. The Bible says, I have never seen the righteous forsaken nor their seed. Far too often you think you have to make it happen when really the pursuit of righteousness, you've got to pursue God's path for your life, not what Wall Street is telling you to pursue. Because you can get lost in that. You can get lost. Well, I got to make sure this has to happen. If it doesn't happen, what about my children, my children's children? All I can tell you is what I have seen from my parents and my grandparents and what they have set for me and I want to do the same thing for my children and that is live a life that is pursued after God I want to go after God I want them to see that listen to me I know you want to leave something for your children but you got to be very careful how you leave it because it could crumble when you're gone if you're not pursuing it after your heart is not after God now I know you love your children I know you love it. Nobody doubts that. But you better be careful if you covet because of that. Very careful. So today I say that because we're going to get free. Somebody say freedom. Someone say freedom. Someone say freedom. Someone say freedom. Tell your neighbor freedom. Tell another neighbor freedom. Okay, we're going to get free. Stand with me here. We're going to get free. We're going to get free. Now we're going to be honest. We're going to be truthful. He did a wide range of what he talked about. But this is an honest altar call. An honest altar call. Not a feeling altar call. In other words, if you just barely felt it right now, and you're like, well, I think so, then don't come. Please don't come. This is not that kind of altar call. This is an altar call that you know when he started speaking, you go, man, I knew it. God, I've been feeling this. It's been in my heart. 
It's been on my mind. And God, I, I need you to take this away. And I need you to, you be the center of it all. And you know that God has not been the center. Your job, your family, your husband, your wife, or maybe not your wife or not your husband has been the center. I don't know. It's been money. So this is not an altar call just to kind of see, okay, well, it's him, it's her. No, no, no. It's an honest altar call within us. And we're going to get free. That's what I, this is why we come to church because we want freedom. I want freedom. I want freedom. And so I know even the pastors, we've been talking about this, right? You guys know. We've been having some meetings. I said, man, well, what's going on? We need this. So even me as the shepherd, I, as he was talking, I was like, man, I take it upon me. God, let me, show me. I, I, I want to make sure that we're going to break this thing in our church that's going on in our city. This is not going to be the norm. I, I, don't, I don't buy that. It's the norm. It's not no norm. I, I don't buy that. I don't buy that norm stuff. Everyone watches it. No, 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 no. No, I don't, I don't buy that at all. So we're going to break this chain. We're going to break these things off. And so if you say here today, I don't know what it is, whatever he talked about, he talked a lot, money, he talked about marriage, he talked about the, the coveting, the lust, and this, and maybe some of you, you haven't been lusting after your wife, I, I don't know, I have no idea, but you say, you know what, in my heart, I want to make sure that God is the center. As we sing this song, you make an honest altar call, whether you're married or you're single, whether you got a job or no job, I want you to come right now. We're going to make an honest altar call. And we're going to say, God, I want you to be number one in my life. Come on, let's sing that song. And you say, God, he's got to be the censor. Maybe you've been doing something else or somewhere else or going somewhere else. Not going to happen no more. We're going to say, God, I want freedom in you. Come on, freedom. Freedom.